0: Welcome to The Other Room. My name is Orolu Aleshi, or Ore as my friends and family call me. The Other Room is a podcast that features conversations with exceptional African women who are defining and redefining their roles in life. These are women who are charting their work and life journeys with purpose. We will look at their career trajectory, the challenges they might have had along the way, and the things they have learned on the path to where they are now. My work focuses on equipping girls and young women with the skills and confidence to prepare for fulfilling careers in science, technology, engineering and maths. I do this through a non-profit organization called the Women's Technology Empowerment Center WTEC, which I founded and is based in Lagos, Nigeria. I hope that my guest stories will help reaffirm that you are where you are meant to be, and if not, will encourage you to make important decisions about your next steps. Today we have Jane egerton Idehen. Jane is a telecommunication executive with over 17 years of experience in the Nigerian, Liberian and Ghanaian telecommunications markets. She holds an engineering degree from the University of Nigeria and an MBA from Warwick Business School in the UK. She worked as part of the Ericsson Ghana and Liberia executive leadership team. She is currently the country manager in Nigeria. And regional sales manager of West Africa for a satellite company, Avanti Communications. Jane is passionate about promoting girls in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And in 2019, she received the 50 leading ladies in corporate Nigeria Leadership Award. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Jane, for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you. So let's find out a bit more about your childhood. Can you tell us a bit about what it was like growing up, where you grew up? Um, yeah, what what kind of experience you had as a child?
1: So I, I grew up in the late 70s, um, early 80s, um, I grew up with my parents. I had two younger siblings, my brother, my brothers and a sister, an older sister. We all lived with our parents, you know, very humble setting. Uh, We lived in Ajegwilas. It was a very humble situation. Initially, my dad worked. He worked uh, like a secretary for one of the oil companies, but then he resigned to run his bakery, which basically my mom was running most of the time. But uh, it was just a loving family. We were in an environment that was, you know, like literally different, you know, like we were living in the slums. But I think my parents were very passionate about giving us an education. So even though financially it was tough for them, they were so keen to pass on those values to us, to, to desire to get an education, to be better. And, you know, as a kid, I loved it. You know, I loved to play in the grass, even though I was playing in the grass next to the trash. Just to hang out with friends, to be free, to, to just dream, to to aspire. You know, I, I talk about, oh, as a little girl, I used to dream, see myself wearing a white suit, holding a suitcase. And I think that's why I got those images. Even though I was living in an environment that wasn't really portrayed that. But, you know, you had these parents that were pushing you trying to instill the best. And you have siblings also that, you know, were also being trained in that manner. So from that aspect, it was good. I loved it. Most of the time. So she was more like the driver, the driving force. She has an a drive that you can't match, even to, to the, I respect her. She's a go-getter, always sees the, the cop half full. Uh, but my dad was the kinder, humbler, you know, empathic leader in him. So it was really, it was a nice environment to grow in. And I'm really grateful that, you know, I was shielded in that environment all through. Of course, after that, you know, I spent the early days in Lagos. Then when it was time for secondary school, I would go on to a boarding school in the Eastern part of the country. And that's one of the blessings I got from God. I keep saying that because my parents couldn't really afford much, but they really wanted us to go into a very good school. So that school, we're very fortunate because it was highly subsidized by the government. It's one of the federal government colleges. The aim of the school was to bring different ethnic groups together. So if you could pass the exams, you would get in. So I actually got into one of those schools. And that's how my journey started. I will spent six years there. And after that, you know, go to university. And, you know, from there, I would then go on to, to start mm. a career. So, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's my early, early, early childhood with my parents, um, enjoying every day of it. You know, it was so free. We would eat bread and bread and bread and bread because my dad owned the bakery. I still love bread for that, you know. I always marvel when people tell us, you know, you can't eat bread that much. It's white flour. I'm not going to eat bread my whole life. <laughs> But yes, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience as Oh, a that's
0: fantastic. And it sounds like you got a very early um, exposure to entrepreneurship.
1: Oh, yes. It was uh, one of my earliest forms, even though it was subtle. So it wasn't like they were like, my parents didn't directly say you have to be an entrepreneur, but we watched them live their lives as entrepreneurs. And my dad would later go on to try several businesses. Most of them, didn't work out well. Even the bakery business was not really doing mm-hmm. so well. But my mom was really a bag, but I think she was an entrepreneur by, you know, some, some we say is nurture and others is nature. Hers must have been nurture. She, She had the guts and the grits to be an, a, an entrepreneur. So I would see her zeal, you know, her passion, her, ability, her drive, the ability not to give up. And I think I would imbibe most of those things, even in the future, you know, in hindsight, when I would look back, I'm like, wow, that could be my mom, you know? I was probably playing at my mom mm. in that scenario. But she will go at it and not give up, and really try to grow that business. But it was tough to grow a business when you didn't have funds, you don't have capital, you don't have access to funds, and you were running. You're literally eating up yeah. your capex, you know, eating your capital. It's difficult to expand when your cost is higher than your revenue. It's just a recipe for a, for disaster. But there was so much I learned from them. Uh, so much in terms of their passion, their drive, you know, and I will see that play out a lot in my career, in my journey, that tenacity mm. to go at it, the tenacity to dream big and you know, it, just not look at only your situation or your environment, but to keep working at something, you know, show that tenacity until you achieve mm. the goals. So, That's yes.
0: fantastic. So um, growing up, did you think about um, pursuing a career in business? So having your own business since, you know, that was one of the um, early um, exposures you had growing up or were you already thinking about doing something else?
1: Let me let you in into a little secret. I actually swore that I would never do business <laughs> because I saw my parents go through the and the downs of running a business chaotic you know especially in this environment you get a lot of surprises you literally cannot control a lot of the variables because in 1980 it was 83 the government would just ban the importation of flour and flour was the basic raw material for creating bread they couldn't find another source, and they didn't want to do illegal things like you know People were going and smuggling flour from neighboring countries. So they basically could not grow their business. They couldn't even run it. So they just watched the business die. So I actually told myself, I'll never do business, you know. But I think I had a change of mind. You know, some things are in, mm-hmm. innate. Even though you would deliberately avoid them, they, they come to you as in, they, they kind of find you. So I would, uh, in 2020, so in 2012, I would decide to go and do an MBA. And I said when I was doing the MBA, my, my, my big plan was that I was going to get a bigger career push. I was going to go for a bigger career step when I do the MBA. But I actually came out from the MBA, wanted to be mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Oops. And I would start some of some businesses on the side. You know, I would try quite a couple of businesses before I decided the niche. I've decided. Okay, if I really want to do a career, I cannot do an operational business. I would rather be an investor, an angel investor. I would, uh, I would look for businesses that do not require a hands-on approach, like real estate and all that. But I would actually take on that track. You know, at the end of the day, you kind of, a, you know, at some point in your life, you face your fears, address them, and understand why you have them. I think that's what what happened mm-hmm. to me during the MBA. I got an understanding why i was afraid to be an entrepreneur i saw my parents go through so much pain i think i was traumatized by that experience and i didn't want to replicate it but it's good to understand why you know why they went through it what the issues were and how you could do it better and not to live in that fear but to learn from the experience and i think that's what i did you know after that whole you know going through that entrepreneurial phase or going through the mba phase was understanding what the issues were and if i had to do it again what i could hmm. do differently
0: okay so it's it's quite interesting because yeah a lot of the times the things we see around us or we see our parents go through can either pull us in a certain direction or actually help us from from that so for initially it's um it's made you not want to go into business so do you have an idea of what you did want to do as a career,
1: I wanted to play safe, so I knew that. Um, I wanted to do, I, I found I was very good as in growing a career, I was good in the corporate world. Just I just found out that I did it really well because I was a hard worker and uh, and always determined to learn. So, you have the ability to, you know, because you're determined to learn, you tend to grow, and because you grow, you tend to expand. So, I was doing quite well in the corporate world. Of course, initially I had my ideas what I thought I would do. So i been an engineer. I wanted mm-hmm. to tow the tech line. I just told myself I was gonna go be some senior technical, excuse me, be a senior technical officer, but you know how life will throw you curveballs, balls. And that's what I've learned. And I tell younger people when I mentor them, you need to pay attention. You need to be present. Sometimes you might be required to pivot. So what you really need to understand is the why, why that vision, why that dream. Is that the only way to get to it? Because sometimes you're just knocking on the wrong door. Maybe there's another door just open. I could take you to the same place. So I'd already, you know, determined to be some senior technical person. But that all changed in, I think that was in 2003 or 4 I'm trying to get the dates right. So I was so determined to be a technical person. I was doing a technical job. But in my organization, there was a project they needed somebody to run. And they were clear that the project was going to flop. You know, someone actually came to me and told me that, see, this project would flop. But we need to do it because the head office says we have to do it. We're just looking for someone to do it and tick the box. We think you have a lot of energy, you know, maybe you could do it. And I'm like, "Uh," he was even giving me a disclaimer, you know, there's no promotion attached to it. There's no pay rise. We just need someone to run this project so we can tick the box. I was at a phase in, uh, in on, on the job where I didn't have much to do and I was feeling a bit bored. I'm like, okay, it wouldn't hurt to, you know, learn something new. It was new in terms of, compared to what we did, it was a, a project that was trying to explore a new product. And I know at that time, my colleagues thought it was ridiculous. Why would you take on a project that, you know, you're very sure there's nothing to gain from it, like. There's no promotion. There's no payrolls. Why are you even doing it? And I was like bored. I could learn something new. But there's always the the part about the authentic you. My desire to always do something and go the extra mile and do it well, of course, will play a huge role. Because when I took on that project, I didn't care if someone had told me that it wasn't going to work. I wanted to make sure I made the best use of it. So I really got, you know, I was really handsome. I would go if any part of the project faced an issue, I got an, I got involved, tried to resolve it. I was everywhere. I read the was. You would think I was the one running, you know, like really doing the implementation. Even though there were engineers doing the installation, I would go with them to sites. I would get involved, help them. You know, if there were any issues from both sides, from the client stakeholders, I showed up. So, what would happen is that uh, nine months later, the, the project became successful. And what we used to do then was, if a project was successful, we would have like a celebratory dinner with the or cocktail with the client. So, we had one. And that evening, everybody had gathered. You know, it was in a restaurant. We were having a cocktail dinner party. It was uh, like a Friday evening. Everybody was happy. I was happy, talking very, you know, very happy to everyone, very happy with everyone. Then the the head of the department I ran that project for would come to me that evening and he would tell me, Jane, I want you to come work for me. I want you to come work for me as a sales manager. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, 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 I want you tomorrow, uh, Monday, come work for me. And I told him, you know what, Peter? You know, it's Friday. You're holding a beer. Everybody's happy. I'm sure you're happy with the project. If you ask me on Monday, I'll take you seriously because I thought he was good. I thought he was just, you know, you know, he was just trying to be, you know, I don't know because he probably found that the project went well. Probably he was just, you know, trying to be nice and, you know, you know, extend his uh, his. Uh, Extend uh, his gratitude. So I would just take it with a pinch of salt because I felt, and he actually told me, he said, you know why I want you to work for me. You know, everybody in the room. And I'm like, he's right. But I knew everybody in the room because I got involved in the project. I wanted it to be successful. I showed up if there was any issue and all these people were all involved in one way or the other. And I didn't shy away from making sure I showed up to solve the problems. But he was up in my office. Monday morning and asked me to take my laptop, and am moving over. So that started a whole different journey for me because I didn't want—I didn't see myself in sales. not I wasn't thinking of getting into management by that route. You know, I would struggle with it for a while. Even HR would get involved. Everybody was trying to convince me. I'm like, no, I'm a technical person. I don't want to be a salesperson. But it was an interesting pivot in my career and it would open doors for me. First of all, it opened me to aspects of myself I didn't know. I didn't even know I was good at networking or connecting with people. It oh. was that guy that told me. That was the first time I knew that, wow, Jane, that is a strength you have. But that would start me on a career journey that would, ex- you know, really expose me to the business mm-hmm. side of things and would become, you know, it would contribute to my successes today. So. Sometimes you have to learn that in life you be flexible and be be, be open to people. Mm. What, what
0: what was your role within the um within the company you are working in?
1: So I was a product manager, and as a product manager, you were in charge of a product, a technical product. So I was in charge of what we call the the intelligent or the iron or the brains of your network, you know, the mobile operators network, and as you have them. The network always has a core or the brain where the intelligence sits. And that's where we do the billing, the charging, and all the value-added services. So all those products were in my portfolio. I had to understand Mm -hmm. them. So that that was me. I was really that technical. Mm -hmm. But now I was now exposed to a world that was entirely different. And the journey wasn't that smooth. Of course, the first few months, I was really intimidated asking myself if I did make the right choice because I was sitting in these meetings as a salesperson and everybody would be talking about gross profits and revenues and margins. And you know and I'm like, what are they talking about? I didn't know what those terms meant. you know. So I was brought in because of my skill set, but I had no clue what they were yeah. talking about. So that, of course, started a whole different journey for me because I told you about one of the abilities was the, the, the desire to always want to learn and yeah. improve myself. So I will start looking for answers. You know, how do I bridge the gap? How do I understand them? I don't understand all these business terms. What is financial modeling? What is business? You know, all these business terms, I didn't understand them. And after a couple of research, I decided to do an MBA. Because I felt with an MBA, I would get business knowledge. I would be exposed. Mm. And like I said, when I was going for the MBA, I thought, oh, it was going to help my career. I was going to grow on my job and all that. I wasn't thinking I will become an entrepreneur mm. after that. So I took on that uh, next phase of running an MBA. And it was hectic because I ran it as an employee. I didn't take time off work. And because I knew that my style of learning required that I interact with people, I didn't want to do like a distant learning program. I did a hybrid. So I would travel to the UK every eight weeks and spend one week in school. Then I'll come back, spend eight weeks, do my work, take another one week break and travel. Mm. So it was hectic because I wasn't given a study leave. So I was using up my leave days. So I didn't have any leave because I was, my leave days were spent studying in school. I had to fund that, that, uh, that part of my education, the company they funded. And it was expensive because I really wanted to do it well. I really took time to research, get a very good school that would give me the right exposure. So that cost me quite a lot of money. I remember I was dating my husband and he used to laugh. He would be like, I don't understand you. Your school fees is equivalent to your entire salary. How are you going to make ends meet? So how, but I was more desirous to give myself, yeah. Mm. Go ahead.
0: So what gave you What gave you the confidence? Because, I mean, um, you also sound like a pragmatic person. And I guess being a technical person, a lot of technical people are very analytical, logical, pragmatic, and they make their decisions based on, on what they can see on the evidence. So what gave you the confidence to actually decide that I'm going to go for this MBA, even though I, I don't have study leave, you know, they're not helping, my employers are not helping to pay my... My, my school fees, I'm not sure how I'll have the time to complete it. What gave you that, that confidence to do that?
1: You know, you're right, as in I could be very pragmatic, but I think sometimes when you're overwhelmed by your dreams, uh, it's like they, don't, they keep you awake at night, even reason, because you're not driven by instinct and, and your belief of what is possible. I used to tell my husband that, oh, I'll leave on my bonuses. So as a salesperson, of course you got bonus. And even though I knew the bonuses might not be enough, I was that determined that I would rather be owing this school fees than not do this thing. Mm. So I knew I was walking on a tightrope, but I was more, I was more, you know, I was more, what I say, carried away by my dream of what could happen, my passion of achieving this goal I've set for myself, than to look at the, at the data before me and I I did that in a lot of there's a lot of focal points in my life I did things like that that didn't make sense and they were no longer rational and that would happen a lot if you see very successful people sometimes the passion to achieve the dream will allow you step even on water even when you know that this is water you're you're literally I I remember a time in school because I thought I was from very humble beginnings So of course my parents couldn't really afford much. So it it was a struggle to be in school. There was a time in my university and I still have that book with me. I keep it because it's, is is a cherished milestone in my life. I didn't have any money, but I was desirous to make an A in a course. I was desirous to make an A in that course because I wanted to make a first class and that course had the maximum units. It was four points. Other courses were two points or one point, but I'm like, you know what? This is a four point course. It has to be an A. I wasn't going to argue it. And one of the key things I required was to study, but I didn't have the materials and I needed a particular book and it was expensive. I couldn't afford it. And I would try and borrow and, you know, but it wasn't working because I really need to devote time. The amount of time required, I wouldn't always have access to the book for the amount of time I wanted to devote to it. Mm. So you know what I would do? The next time my parents would send me the meager pocket money they sent me, which wasn't a lot, I would take that money. Immediately I came out from, I think it was the bank or where, I would go straight to the bookstore in the market. I remember that in a soccer. Asked this guy how much this book was. The price of the book was equivalent to almost all the money I had in my hand if I take out my transport fare. But you know, I would go ahead and give him the money, buy that book, and go to my room in the hostel and be so happy even though i knew that i am so in big trouble like how are you going to feed for the next couple of days mm. i was just happy that i bought that book mm. you know i could see myself getting the a but i didn't know how i was going to leave the next day or even in the evening you know what are you going to feed yourself and mm. that would happen i think that's that's something i can't explain but it's is is your because I believe sometimes for your dreams and your ambition, you're, you're first sold in your mind. Yeah. And you know, and when you know that it's, uh, I tell people that always you have to want it for yourself. When you want it for yourself, even the hurdles and the challenges, sometimes you're not even rational with them. You're willing to walk and be determined to walk against that hurdle mm. just because you're so driven to achieve particular goal
0: yeah and i think that's a common trait of um very successful people that they have a vision they're able to see what is not what is not here basically and they're able to almost will it into existence through their hard work through their determination Mm -hmm. through their through their share self-belief And uh, so at the end of the day, when they're successful, people are like, wow, that's fantastic. We applaud them. But it could easily have gone the other way. I'm sure at the time people will be looking at them thinking they're crazy.
1: Exactly. I would have probably, it would have, something would have happened. I couldn't get fed, you know, fall ill or whatever. But I remember reading that book I bought several nights on a hungry stomach, But I was just happy that I have that book and that A was coming for me. And that would open a huge door for me because I noticed that I so read that course that I would teach people. Mm. I talk about, some of the skill sets I've acquired. I would stand in front of an auditorium with 400 students and I would teach them engineering 401 because I've so read it. There's like literally no question you would ask me. I have read it. I've solved all the past question papers five years, you know, backwards. Like you literally have to, really go to the moon and ask me a question for, for, you know, for me to, you know, fill that question. That's how thorough I was. So people would be so, you know, happy to tap into that knowledge. And I was willing to share. So I would have discussion classes, they used to call it, you know, in Kechi, my, my native name is in Kichi. So that's what, what me, people knew me back. In Kechi's discussion class and everybody would show up and I would teach and teach and teach just the sheer happiness of that, I understood it, and I was going to get by aid I was willing to to do that, but yeah, and that would it would translate to my, um you know to my ability to do things like public speaking or communication. But that was for me; it was fun because I was enjoying it. Mm.
0: Okay, so I I'd like to go take us back a little bit. So you were in university. What did you study in university?
1: So I studied engineering, electronics engineering.
0: Okay. And um, so when your parents were, you know, doing business and you thought to yourself, "Hmm, I don't want to do business by, you know, in any shape or form. Then you leaped from entrepreneurship to engineering. How did you get the idea to become an engineer?
1: So, well, engineer, I think it first don't, I idea, I I first got exposure as uh, probably a young teenager. I once had my mom. So my mom has this godparent that will come and visit. So I had my mom talking to her godparent, the, the lady. And they were talking about the lady's son. He was studying engineering. And the lady was telling my mom how it was so difficult. Everybody was spilling out of the class. This amount of people signed up at the beginning of the year. And maybe four or five years later, You know, it's less than 10% left. It was so difficult. She was going on and on. You know, as a young kid, I just eavesdropped. And I told myself, that's what I want to do. In hindsight, I would tell myself, I think I was just drawn to the challenge. And I see that a lot in things I do. If you tell me it can't be done, it's impossible. You've just made it attractive. And just the fact that the lady was telling my mother that it was a difficult task, I was just drawn to that challenge. So that's where I will first have my exposure, like, oh, I want to do that. If that is difficult, yes, that's the one I want to do. But of course, along the line, you know, things will happen. My parents really wanted me to study med- medicine. So I think it was GSS, SS1, you know, then in the, in the secondary school, we would have to choose if you want to be a science student and all. And of course, my mother wanted me, oh, my dad, you have to join the, the, the science students for those that want to do medicine. And I, I wasn't really like intrigued by medicine, but you know, surrender peak could happen as well. I lost my biology note in the first term and I would come home, my parents would try and, you know, convince me I have to go find the note or rewrite the note. I just convinced myself like I wasn't going to do that. I'm just going to go and do this engineering thing. I'm not having, I don't have no plans to look for that biology note or try and recopy it. I wasn't finding it interesting. (laughs) That's how I would start that journey of, you know, trying to be an engineer. And I I really did well, you know, because I would, you know, get those moments where I'm like, wow, what does it take to get an A? It's just how you guys get an A. I want to get an A. And, you know, I start working towards getting an A. And you know, I would really graduate with very good results. But then I will come back home after SS3 to my environment, to my you know, parents, loved ones. And the you know, people would ask me, so what are you gonna put in for jam? What do you want to study when you go to university? I'm like, oh, engineering. And people are like, engineering, you shouldn't do that. It's too tough. It's for men, it's for it's for boys. Um, it's too hard. Why do you want to spend five years in university? That's too long. Do something easy. Come out and get married. You don't have to waste your parents' money. Everybody had an idea of what they think you should do. And I tell young ladies this a lot. And I tell, especially the ones I mentor, you know, I'm going to have this chat with you. I'm going to talk to you. We're going to agree. I'm going to get into my car and drive off. You're going to go back home to your environment, your parents, your loved ones, your friends. It is a battle of the mind. Your ability to be determined, even when the environment is say no, will be left to you. I won't be there to protect you. Nobody else is you and you and you alone. Because it's important that people own people own their dreams. I would go back home then after secondary school, and after hearing all this negativity all around me, I decided to play it safe. And two weeks before submitting my jam form, I would go and erase it and say, oh, but I took this thing off. Flip, flip through the brochure. Can I find anything that's physics, chemistry, math? I didn't even know what. Because I only, unless I've always operated in life, I always give myself very few options. So I had spent almost three years in my life telling myself I wanted to be an engineer. Now I'm going to try and figure it out in two weeks. What can I replace with engineering? Because I put the first choice engineering, second choice engineering, and everybody were all laughing like, no, you can't do that. You will never get into university. Do you think you're so smart? And, you know, it it starts to tell on your self-esteem because I was coming from an environment where I was shielded, where people saw me for who I was, to an environment where people didn't even really know that I'd evolved, I'd grown. I was not the little girl they saw. I was someone that had worked really hard. I was beginning to own myself. And people thought, ah, I played safe. This environment, people don't even go to school. You that, we think that it's smart. Just do something and come out and get a job. So I would mm. change that form. I think I put it in industrial chemistry or so. But you know what will happen? You know, when the universities were ready to open, I would go to Nsuka to check my name on the board. I think my name was like number one on industrial chemistry or so. So I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me just check on that engineering list. What could I, what, you know, where would I have been placed if I'd chosen engineering? You know, when I checked, I think I would have been placed amongst the top 10. Mm. I became really miserable. Like, why did I do this? Why was so, did you? Why was I make scared? It. Yes. Yeah. Why was I so insecure? Why did I listen to all those comments? I would spend the next one year trying to change my course back to engineering. And I did. I did change that course back to engineering after one year. But it mm. taught me a priceless lesson in life that I always applied, that my dreams are mine to fight for and protect. People around me don't necessarily have to understand or buy into it. And it's okay. I don't take it personal. I'm not a bias. I understand that they see it from their perspective and their, their own vantage points. I am the one working on what I'm working on. you know, I remember my cousin that when I was an undergraduate, I would go to visit him while i'm on some break and he will be trying to encourage me if you can even make c's just just make c's if you can even just graduate we will look for any job for you they were just all happy that i was in school and this was me a girl that was so determined to make a first class c was not even to be accommodated i couldn't stand the c because it would take me nowhere I had to be a straight A student to make in first class. And somebody was telling me to just, if I can get a C, they'll be happy with it. So the expectations are so low, you know, lower than what you want for yourself. And that's why I tell people, your dreams are yours to protect and, you know, fight for. Yeah. You don't have to sometimes, you know, buy into people's expectations of what you who you should be. Because you're probably really, I would say, competing against yourself. If I took to what they said all the time, I would probably be somewhere else because everybody was happy for me to see and just graduated. They were not demanding much from me. I had far more expectations, you know, for myself than what they wanted from me. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you were able to change into um, change to um, electronics engineering,
1: engineering
0: yeah. and so you ended up doing really well because you worked really hard and you were able to teach the other students. Then you graduated and you were out in the world. Now, what was what was your first job um, that you had post university?
1: And a friend had told me that uh, there was a company that was recruiting, and the good thing is that the company was paying intense quite well because i was looking for some kind of internship and they were also an engineering company in the sector that i wanted so it was just the perfect fit just that i knew nobody so i would go and go be nice to the people at the security gate and they'll you know they'll they'll try but you don't know anybody i would try to wing it i'm looking for this i'm looking for that people i didn't know but i was just fortunate you know sometimes i say your the angels are sent to you are just kind everyday people People will say they're ordinary people. They're actually angels. So in this case, it was the receptionist. I'd come and come and come so much that uh, one day she told me, you know what? Today, you just go home. Come back on Monday. Just come straight to me and tell me you want to see Mr. Larry. That you have an appointment. I will call Mr. Larry for you. If he should ask you, you cannot tell him I was the one that told you. I think he can help you. And she kept to her word. I would show up the next Monday. Of course, I doubted. Oh, would this be true? You know, will she do it? But I showed up the next Monday and you know, did like she said. You know, she pretended she didn't know me. She called Mr. Larry, and I was there, so happy, trying to convince Mr. Larry that you know he could recruit me. And the guy spent like an hour trying to find out who are you, like who told you to meet me? How did you get my details? <laughs> But I was so passionate, like trying to convince him, like I've done this in school, I did this, I did it, I work on this project, I'm good, I'm hardworking, really passionate. Larry would give me my first break. He would actually help me get my first job because he would get me that opportunity. I would intend there and start working with that company after internship. And I say this with a lot of humility and gratitude because there are lots of Larrys out there. For most people that think that, oh, you you need to have some kind of access to to start your career journey. Oh, you can never get help because you don't know anybody. Your parents are too poor. You know, you don't have all the variables you need. There are angels on this planet. And I strongly believe that God sent people to help you. There are good people looking to help others. And Larry was Mm. one of those people for me. He would give me... And you know, today, Mm. the funny thing is that we still meet... We meet in an industry event, and I always tease her like this guy gave me my first big break, and he probably would just smile. (laughs) But yes, Larry gave me that break, and I'm so, so grateful. And I I always love to pass it on, you know, just like he did for me. I like to do for many others. I always shocked, you know, why she's so interested to help me. And people keep wondering, I'm like, I'm interested to help you because I was also helped. The guy that gave me my first big yeah. break didn't know me. He didn't know anything about me. So it's it's okay mm-hmm. to help strangers. Mm. So um
0: you were working initially as um an engineering intern, and then you got um a permanent appointment. Yes,
1: yeah, so I would intern in the company, I would serve with them, which was a beautiful story because I started off as an intern, because I hadn't even gone to service. I just graduated, but we didn't know when we were going to go for service. So I would do that internship for three months. Then we will go for service. I would do my service with them. And then they would actually offer me permanent employment. But at that stage, I had gotten another job with a multinational Ericsson. And I decided to go with mm. the multinational.
0: So what was that experience like moving to Ericsson and then starting your I guess, your first proper job after NYSC? It,
1: it, it was, it was, it was a, a peculiar one because I know at the time I, make that, I made that decision because sometimes I get a lot of young people asking, me, oh, what should I do? Should I go for the money? Or should I go for the for the career? I said, well, yeah, I can only tell you what I did. I don't know what you should do. But at the point I made my call, I chose the career because I thought the money would always come. I was confident that, you know, if you work hard, you, the money will come. The time I took that job with Ericsson, when they offered me the latter, it was the same pay as what I was earning, and this was me an intern. It was no different. If I put my overtime, it was exactly the same pay, and I kept asking the guys in Ericsson, "Why should I take this job? Like, there's no incentive. You're going to pay me the same thing as as I'm earning. Like, why should I come and work with you guys?" But well, my good friend always, you know, she said something. Then, you know, where I had gone brainstorming with her, and she's like, "You know what? These guys could offer you a career because they would train, you. they would expose you to all kinds of technology in different countries. So maybe it's worth taking a chance." So that was the reason I took the job, just because I knew they would train me, because I wanted to go. I was so desirous to grow, even as an intern. You know, when we we were running a shift. Any free day, if nobody wanted, I would take it. I just wanted to learn. I was hungry to learn. So that was one of the reasons I took the Ericsson job. Because I thought, oh, if I take this job, they were going to train me. I was going to learn so much. And that was good for me. It wasn't really all about the money because the money was the same. So
0: when you look back on your your career you know, so far, are there any major mistakes that you made that you look back on and you're like, whoa, <laughs> How did I still
1: have a job after that? <laughs> well, I, I normally don't, I don't call them mistakes. I feel they are all things you learn from. I feel, this, I feel you fail forward. Mm-hmm. All those because all those things I would have called mistakes are things that became milestones in my life that have made me progress and become who I am. And those are the reasons why probably I am where I am today. But there have been times you're like, wow, how are we going to get through this one? You know, like if I get through this one in the morning, then I'll be so glad. And there have been cases like that, loads and loads of cases. Just the, the mere fact of choosing to take the sales route. It was a tough time too because I really didn't want to be a salesperson. I thought sales people were just aggressive people that would breed on other people's neck and force them to make decisions they didn't want. So I, I had this prejudice already about salespeople, and there I was being offered this role and I I, I told myself I don't want this is not me I want to be technical but I'll get one of my informal mentors give me a prep talk and tell me you know what what do you really want there are different ways to achieve it just be clear about what you want but know that there are different ways to achieve it and I would take on that journey even though the first few months I asked myself is this the right thing you know you're sitting in meetings you had no clue what they were talking about you're like this is not your comfort zone and you you start doubting the decision you made but if i in hindsight that was one of the best decisions i made because it took me on a career path that today is such a blessing and i talk about this a lot in my book about those milestones in my career that would have been what you would call mistakes but they're not they're just experiences that just leapfrogged you I normally say they shake the system and give you a reason to open up your eyes. For example, leaving Ericsson the first time was one of those big ones, you know. It was a comfortable job. I was doing well. I told people before I knew it, within the first seven years, I'd traveled to over 21 countries, and maybe 30. You know, like the job was good exposure. I was doing well. I was comfortable. But I wanted more. I saw myself as in getting more. And after a couple of, you know, I felt like, oh, I've been passed for promotion way too much. I was going to go. And people didn't, nobody even believed me. Because at that time, my name was Jane Erickson. Most people knew me as, they didn't even know my surname. They just knew Jane Erickson. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine I decided that I was leaving. It was a tough call to make. And everybody wanted to be sure that, are you okay? Is it the right decision? Where are you going? You're flourishing here. But I, I didn't feel like I was flourishing because I really wanted more. And I just kept saying that I wasn't given the opportunity. So I decided to do it cold turkey and walk away. And I told myself, Jane, if you're really good, you should be able to replicate your success wherever you go. Your success shouldn't be tied to one position. If you think you're really good, that's the challenge I gave myself. So I would walk away and walk for another organization. And I know lots of people looked at her like, why would she have left? You know, she was so comfortable doing so well. But that for me was one of the key milestones in starting my management journey. Because the company would come and look for me two years later. They would actually cut me for nine months to get me back. That's how valuable they thought I was. Like initially I thought it was a joke. I'm like, okay. Wow. You're always trying to have lunch with me or, you know, sell me the idea of coming back. I'm like, how can I come back? I just left that company like a year ago. I can't come back, you know. But, you know, when it went on for like nine months, you know, you can kind of get sold to the idea of this is all what we could achieve together. And I came back. But the difference was that I came back on my own terms. I was more confident. I was clear about what I wanted. And I laid the ground rules. And I told them, this and this is what I want. If after one year you can't give this to me, then I'm going to walk. And when the time was up, I brought it back on the table. I'm like, Remember I told you that this and this is what I want. And I told you, if you're not going to give it to me, I was going to leave. So it was a different ballgame. The negotiation table had turned. I say this a lot to women because sometimes it's something we shy away from. We will not confront it. We will not negotiate. Because of some kind of indoctrination from the culture, you know, you're not a woman is not meant to speak or ask. We always used to be on the sure. receiving mm. side. You know, somebody's going to ask you out on a date. Somebody will ask you to marry them. You're never on the side that would ask. But in the job, on the job, or mm. in the and uh, the work and the workforce is different. The rules of engagement are slightly different. People don't wait to be asked. Because nobody will come and ask you. You actually have to ask. You have to put yourself forward. You have to step out, be visible. You have to want it. And for most women, it's a big tough one, you know, a very big tough one. Because the seat has been, you know. But go ahead. You're going to yeah. pushy. But 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 how
0: so when you've been raised a certain way, this is the way you've been raised all your life, to be the good, obedient, well behaved woman. And then you get into a workplace where the rules are different. How can you start to have that mind shift to, to not only survive, but to really thrive in that environment? So number one, I'm thinking about when you move to the sales job and you didn't know what they were talking about, there could have been the tendency for you to keep quiet because oh, these are my superiors. They have been here longer, you know, but, you know, you have to make your, your presence felt. How do you have the courage to do that? How do you have the courage to negotiate? How do you have the courage to make those, to, 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 to basically come out of the box and basically take yourself out of your comfort zone? How do you have the, how do you begin to even have the courage and the ability to do that?
1: So I, I normally tell people, which is the big theme of my book, two things. I tell them that courage requires vulnerability The fact that you're courageous doesn't mean you're not vulnerable. It doesn't mean you're like all confident with arms. I'm going to fight this war. It means that you're vulnerable, but you're still acting. That's that's for me is being fearless. The ability to act in the midst of your fear. You know, to sit in that meeting, listening to all those people say all those things, and you had no clue, but you still ask the question. "Um, Just for those of us that don't know, what does net sales mean? It takes a lot of courage. Because they can laugh at you, yeah. isn't it? They're like, yeah. I thought this girl was your new sales manager, she doesn't know what net sales is. But you still act. And I tell you 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 have to act in the midst of your fear. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you're not scared. I'm literally scared, thinking of all what would happen. They could probably laugh it up, they could ignore me, or they could just give me one of those correct answers. But you're still acting. And I and I say that because I think it's so important in life. In all those phases. I was scared, you know. You know what it is to go to your office and see that the first time you were passed for promotion, the second time you were passed. Then you start asking questions. That's the whole culture we are raised in, and I am being told the only way to get answers you have to confront this thing. It took, it took like sleepless nights and you know months of thinking. How do I say it? Where do I say it? How do I preach it? That buy like, if he says this, you know, you do all the role play, but you still take that step. And still say, hey boss, can I get five minutes with you when you're free? I really want to chat with you. And those five minutes, half the times you're rubbing your fingers, you're sweating, wishing the ground would open so you could hide in. But you still ask them to to find out what's going on, you know. I find out on the job, each time this openings are and I apply, I don't seem to get it. And sometimes I feel the people that get it there, they don't even know. They're not as experienced as I am, and they don't even know half of what I know. And I feel like some of them, I met, you know, they met me here. But why don't I seem to get that? They tell me I interviewed very well, I did so well in the interview, but I never get the jobs. I was just wondering can you tell me, can you give me pointers what I could do? You know, where do I need improvement? You know, what could be the. I would like to work with you to address those gaps. It takes a lot of courage being vulnerable. And you're probably sweating as you're doing it. So you're really scared. So the the journey itself of being courageous doesn't mean it's a journey that is, you know, lacking in fear. It's just a journey that is accommodating and addressing it, but confronting it and still taking those steps
0: us about your book i love the title be fearless give yourself permission to be you tell us what prompted you to I write i always it.
1: tell everybody i'm quick too that my daughter was the muse for that book so of course the journey started with my coach so i do have a coach she's always telling me when we have these sessions you have so much valuable experience you should share that with younger people i'm like oh i'm so busy she's like you should write of course, after you know, lots of times of you should write. One of those days, I was bored. You know, took a leave, nothing to do. Husband has gone to work, kids have gone to school. I said, okay, maybe I should just write. So I wrote my first article. You know, people would like it. I would get a lot of positive response, and I, I write a couple of them afterwards. I would even write for some newspapers and magazines, and I would get a lot of positive reviews. You know, I didn't know people what I thought was was knowledge that was nothing. People found them to be priceless. So I would then, you know, after a lot of, you should put it in the book, you should put it in the book, I would then decide. But I think it really became a pressing need for me when I was desirous to pass on my knowledge to my daughter. There was a time I was so desirous, thinking of how can I pass this knowledge to my daughter? Like I meant a lot of young people, but I really want to give my daughter, share with her some of these valuable truths. And that's how the journey started for me. I wanted to really document it for my daughter. Actually, the initial title of the book was A Letter to My Daughter. (laughs) That was the first title of the book. Because for me, it was just dedicated to my daughter, Sarah. And um, I thought it was a powerful way to pass on to her some of the journey. uh, Things I've learned. Some, Some things I've learned along the way that I thought could be useful tools for her on her own. So has she read it? What does she My think? daughter is nice. She's, first of all, she's so happy that she's even to me. She's like, do you know my mom wrote this book and it's dedicated to me? She tries to tell all her friends, you know? She hasn't read the entire book. She, she's seen parts of the book because sometimes I talk to her about it. Um, my daughter is quite funny. You know, that's what she did last night. Last night, some of the things we do, if, I, if I'm trying to put her to bed and she wouldn't go to bed, I could give her something to read and read as well so we can both talk about it. So last night, the funny one she did. I was reading uh, Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. She was reading some book about uh, ponies, but she decided that we swap. That was the only way she was going to read to bed. So she read Michelle Obama's book instead, and I read her bedtime story, which was about them. Um, what <laughs> about some pony? <laughs> okay.
0: So one thing I noticed from your book is that you are very passionate about. Um, women um, being empowered, women moving up in their careers, and women generally living empowered lives. Now, not every woman in the workplace likes to be thought of as a woman in the workplace, um, if that makes sense. Um, A lot of times um, when women get ahead, they don't always acknowledge that they had any gender based challenges biases along the way and maybe sometimes i don't know some women didn't really um, but that's really rare but i mean for you you not only acknowledge you know the gender um, biases stereotypes that you've experienced you know all through your life's journey you are actively addressing it um, so what gives you the boldness to be able to do that when, you know, for a lot of women, you know, when we're, we've are we risen up, we just want to blend in and pretend like those problems, you know, don't exist.
1: First of all, I would say when a problem feels overwhelmingly big, you probably, most people will shy away from addressing it. Um, but I want to do it. I want to do it for myself, for my younger self. And I think I owe it to my daughter. I think it's, I also owe it to my son. If you want to make the world a better place, I think it's not just to talk about the issues, it's to address it. Because if you address it, you make the world a better place, not just for your daughter, but for for your son as well. Because if we know better, I keep saying that we will do better. Um, If the guys or if the men know that, oh, there's a challenge here, then they probably could be on board to collaborate and help address it. If they don't know there's a challenge, it will just be swept under the carpet. And I think for a long time, for many women, it looked like an insurmountable task or a mountain that could not be brought down. So probably it probably was easier to avoid it. Most people avoid a battle they feel they've already lost. But I know that it starts from one step, you know, speaking up, doing one little thing. And before we know it, we can get a, a chance to change in the way things are done. So I, that's, for me, the real passion. And I share a lot of that in my journey. Of course, it's easier to, to sweep it under the carpet. I know that's one of the discussions I had with my editor. Like, are you going to really want to talk about this? And I'm like, yes. The only way I can do better and keep, make this world better than I left it is to address it and to share what I think could be a possible solution and to ask others to join as well, to ask other men, because sometimes they don't even know. You know, they don't know just because they're, you know, from their own point of view, they're not in that situation. Think about childbearing and childrearing and, you know, managing that with your career and the workplace. Because most times it's the woman, she's the one to face the brunt of it. Just think about basically what is happening now. So we're having this whole lockdown situation in most countries of the world because of the whole COVID-19. And I think for most men staying at home and working from home, they're getting a glimpse into the lives of their wives, what it takes to run a home. For some of them, they're still being showed that, like I was having a chat with a friend, like oh, her husband is just at the corner of the house having his calls, money tonight. He doesn't know how the kids are engaged, how they are fed, and she still has to do that and still do her own work because she works. But it's to have that conversation. And I think when we start to have those conversations, we do ourselves a lot of good. We do the generation behind us a lot of good.
0: What do you do for fun?
1: <laughs> I do lots of things for fun. <laughs> I do a lot. I do lots of things. So I, I, I love sports because I think I could easily get boards. I can always switch them. So I would cycle. I golf. I swim. I play tennis, you know, like I take it on like if I wanted to learn something new, I look for a new sport of like, you know, let me get challenged. But I also love to dance. I love ballroom dancing. So I do a lot of salsa. I love to hang out with friends, play with my kids. I have lots of things I do for fun. <laughs> mm, okay, I'm 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 starting to see that. Mm. Yeah.
0: So what's next what's next for you? What's next for you? You have um, your book out Be Fearless and um you're promoting it. Um what's next for you in terms of your career, your life in general? Um more books to come. Yeah, what lies ahead?
1: So I say I'm really spending time now to um of course promote the book, but I really see myself taking that message um also using my platform, as in my career platform, expanding that so that I can, I feel when you have a bigger platform, you can impact more, like we were saying, you know, once you're at the table, then you can have these discussions. So I see that, I see myself taking bigger responsibility using my expertise to help other corporations, organizations, you could be in, in the, in the, in the sense of board positions, you know, because I, I seem to be getting a lot of such requests to come with that expertise and experience so that I can also help organizations that will need that. And also use that platform as well to do, you know, create more impact and do uh, do better for my generation and the young, younger generation behind me. Um, so that's something I'm really looking forward to when it comes to my care. When it comes to my family, I'm really looking forward to Uh, Having to spend an amazing time with my kids because they, they literally sacrificed the last one year to give me time to write my book. So I'm trying to play catch up right now. So I'm spending this amazing time with them, you know, just getting to know them better to even learn from them. You know, sometimes you learn from your kids, but seeing the world through their eyes so that I can be a better mom to them, which is really what I want to be. And to to know that I've done the best in being a good mom to them and giving them what they need and really spending time with my husband as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, I wish you lots of fun, um, spending time with your family and I want to thank you for this time that you spent sharing and talking to, to me. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot from it and I look forward to sharing our conversation with everyone.
1: Thank you too. I really appreciate it. I think it was amazing having this chat with you because, you know, you're really someone I respect. I love your passion and the work you do. So I, I'm a big fan. I really admire the work you do. Wow. And I really thank look forward you. to collaborating somewhere or the other with you in the future. So thank you so much. I'm honored. Thank
0: you. Thank you, thank you so much, Jane. I look forward to collaborating with you too. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on The Other Room in conversation with Jane Egerton-Idehen. It was very interesting talking to Jane and learning about how her capacity for incredible hard work and her ability to pivot has been instrumental in her incredible 17-year career. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to The Other Room on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, live your life with boldness and joy.